But uh, I'm excited. Thank you so much. It is a privilege. It is an honor. It is a blessing without a doubt. <clears throat> and I want to thank Kevin for giving me the opportunity uh, to share this morning. I do not take it lightly. And uh, just to get an opportunity to unfold the word, to break it open, as we know, the word is what? It's living. It's breathing. It is active. It is not a historical book that was written 2,000 years ago just to lie dormant, just to dust off every once in a while and to pick up and read. But as the word says, it is living, it is breathing, it is active. How many of you know that we can read the same scripture a thousand times, right? How many times has this has happened? I've read the same scripture hundreds of times, but on a particular morning, I wake up and read this scripture and it the words jump off the pages. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, it jumps off the pages. Why? That's what it means by the word being living and active and breathing. It is alive. It equips us for that day. God shows us different things day by day to give us what we need for that moment and whatever we are going through. I love Psalm 37. My wife and I were talking about it last week. This is the message version, obviously, but it says, I chew on wisdom like a dog chews on a bone. Think about that for a second. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I chew on wisdom like a dog chews on a bone. I roll virtue around on my tongue until the very word of God is like blood going through my veins. How cool is that? That is what the word, that's what I want the word of God to be. Kevin was talking about it a couple weeks ago. I think in Colossians 3.16, it says, dwell on the word richly, and out of that will come what? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. I don't know how many times I hear people say, man, I've got nothing to write. I've got nothing to say. You know, as songwriters, they'll say, I've got nothing to, to sing about, or how in the world do you compose a song? And all I ever encourage them and say is this, listen, Colossians 3.16, simple as that. Dwell on the word richly, and guess what the promise is? Out of that comes what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We don't have to make it happen on our own, do we? God's spirit breathes and lives within us. As I was preparing for this message this morning, entitled, How to Be Content While Contending. Think about that for a moment. Sounds like a contradictory statement, doesn't it? How to be content while contending. How to be at complete rest while you're in a war, in a battle. How to be at peace when there seems to be chaos all around you. How is that possible? And let me tell you something. As I was preparing for this morning, how many of you know that I've got this Isuzu Trooper, right? It's a classic car, if you don't know. It's 25 years old. Yeah. I just wanted to start off with that this morning. 25 years old. I think I've driven it all month long, about two or three days. It has been in the shop the other 27 days of the month. Yes. Every time I tried to prepare for this message this morning, and I'm not exaggerating, I'm not hyperbolizing here, I would get a call from the mechanic that tried to steal my joy. That mechanic tried to steal my peace every single time. I'd wake up the next day, and without fail, I would begin to meditate on the word that we're getting ready to look at, Philippians 4. And I, 15 minutes in, phone rings, mechanic. Nate, it's the radiator. It's the distributor. You need a new engine. You need four new tires. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. It was something like that every single day. And what I've come to find out is this, and we talk about this all the time. Basically what I do with cars, and I've learned there's a, there's a history and a pattern. It doesn't matter if it's a simple oil change, and many of you know this, 
It doesn't matter if it's a simple oil change or you're getting your entire engine replaced. It always seems to cost $500. Isn't that true? So what I do, if I'm getting an oil change or I'm putting four new tires on, I just walk in, I slap $500 down, I say, just do what you need to do and get it done. Because the only part that I care about, I don't know anything about distributors or anything like that, the only thing I care about is how much does it cost and can I drive it tomorrow? And guess what? It is still in the shop. But I did not let it steal my peace. I am content. And let me tell you something. God reminded me this week. He was like, listen, you're preparing for this. You know, you're getting in the word. You're talking about these things. You know how it is when you speak a message. It doesn't matter. All of us, no matter what, what our calling is, our giftings are, we want to do a good job, right? We want to do it. We want to do it well done. So, I'm, you know, I want to present a, a, a good message this morning, leave you with something, leave us with something. I'm speaking to myself. And God reminded me, listen, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a what? Be a doer of the word. You're talking about being content. You're talking about this, this peace. Don't let that mechanic steal your joy. Don't let that trooper completely just wipe you out. It seems like a small thing, doesn't it? But it can. Monday morning rolls around, I get that call. I could have let it destroy my entire week. It lost focus of what God had for me, the different opportunities that he was going to bring my way all through the week. The outcome is going to be the same, right? How to be content while contending. Philippians 4, let's look at this. If you have your Bibles, if you've got your iPhones, your iPads, it's Paul, and he's talking again. This is the message version. He says this. He says, I have learned by now. I love this verse. To be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I have learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I don't even think we need to go on. You could sit and rest on that verse for quite some time. It has so much meat on it and chew on it, like Psalm 37 says. But let's go on. <clears throat> I have learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I have found, I love this, I have found the recipe to being happy, whether full or hungry, with full hands or with empty hands. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can do anything through the one who makes me who I am. I love that. Isn't that powerful? Wherever I am, whatever I have, it doesn't matter. That's Paul speaking. I can do anything through the one who makes me who I am. Who is that one? Let's take a little time and look at that for a second. We all know that. The sovereign God, the creator of creation, the source of everything. He has all that we need. How cool is it that you and I have an all-access pass, an all-access pass to his throne room? He gives us that. He opens that up to us. Jesus says what? Hey, you're no longer slaves. We're what? We're friends. He calls us friends. He sits at the right hand of the Father, right? And he says, everything that has been made known to me, I do what? I make known to you. That's the one we're talking about. He's the vine. We're the branches. Everything flows from him. All we've got to do is tap into it. An unbroken communion, abiding in him, resting in him. And let me tell you something. It says, I can do anything through the one who makes me who I am. Now, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. And... I tell you what, it wasn't until I was much older that I began to understand who I was in Christ. And let me tell you something, when you know what the word says about who you are, who we are, that we're what? Citizens of heaven, salt and light. His workmanship created to do good works, saints, not sinners. 
man, there is a solid foundation, right? You can stand on that when we know who we are in Christ. I love that. Paul says, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can do anything through the one who makes me who I am. So let's go back to the beginning of this. I have learned by now, Paul says, to be quite content whatever my circumstances. So you say, how in the world? I ask myself that question. How in the world is that even possible? Whatever my circumstances. That means in successes and failures. That means on the mountaintop and the valley. That means at the peak, at the pinnacle, or in prison, as Paul found himself. He said, whatever my circumstances, I have learned to be quite content. Why is that? Well, because our joy is what? It is not based on our circumstances, is it? Our joy is founded in what? Our joy, our peace, being content is founded in the Lord. He never changes, does he? He's consistent. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. And so when our joy is founded in him, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never drops the ball. The word says he sticks closer than a brother. That's what our joy is founded on. That means that whatever my circumstance, Paul found himself in prison many times. Whatever my circumstance, whatever the chaos, there can be complete chaos going on all around in our worlds, and we can be at what? Internally, we can be at complete peace. It can also be the complete opposite, can't it? Where, you know, we're in our yoga pose, we're stretching, we're doing the downward dog. Anybody know what the downward dog is? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I love the downward dog. You know what I'm saying? I love yoga. I stretch once a year. And I meditate, I meditate on the word while I'm doing it. And, uh, but it takes a little more than that, doesn't it? We can be at complete peace. We can be in a yoga pose. We can, we can breathe in and out ten times, take deep breaths. We can count to ten. We can do all the ten steps to this and the twenty steps to this and do all these different things. And guess what? Be at complete turmoil inside, can't we? It can all look good. But inside, we are completely distraught. There is no peace. Or it can be just the opposite. I always picture the disciples in the boat, right? When they're crossing the sea, when they're crossing the ocean. Jesus is in the boat with them, obviously. But they hadn't learned by now to be content and to trust trust in him and place their hope in him. What do they do? They freaked out. They gave place to panic. The storms, the winds, the waves came. They did what? Oh, my goodness. They were yelling, God, wait, Jesus, wake up, wake up, wake up. You have to save us. And that is such a great picture of something that I've heard so many times, so many years, the toothpaste test. If there's some, one thing you remember this morning, remember the toothpaste test. I love it. That when you get squeezed, when I get squeezed, what comes out? Right? What comes out when we get squeezed? Because I tell you what, we can walk around with our Bibles, can't we? And we can... Talk a good talk, can't we? And we can walk in this sometimes false humility, right? And we can be like, oh, I'm the, I mean, you're not saying this, but internally you're thinking, I'm the best Christian, the believer that has ever walked the planet, right? Hey, listen, I've thought that about myself many times. I'll just, I'll confess it. Man, I've got it all together. I know the word. I know everything. I've, you know. But man, the first little thing happens and what happens, there's just, Oh, my gosh, bile that just begins to spill out. You get squeezed a little bit, and what happens? We freak out. We panic. And I always find 
as far as my own heart, that is such a great test to see where I'm at, where my relationship is with the Lord, where I'm, how deep I, you know, I'm trusting in him. Because as Paul says, I have learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. So let's look at that. I have learned by now. That was not innately in him. That was not something he was born with. That was not something that he woke up one day and said, man, this is just who I am. I'm complete peace. I'm content at all times. No, this was something that was what? That was learned over time. It was acquired. How was that acquired? Well, he had a history of what? He had a history of God's faithfulness. Time and time and time and time again, God had done what? He had come through. He had met him where he was at. He had pulled him out. He had made a way where there seemed to be no way, right? He opened doors that man couldn't shut and shut doors that man couldn't open. He lifted him up in due time. Paul had a history of God's faithfulness. And that's why he could say, man, I have learned finally, it sounds like, by now, to do what? To be quite content. Let's look at the Israelites for a second. I always like to look at the Israelites in the sense that this right here. And it's so good as far as that, that learn. Going from what the word says from feeding on milk to what? Feeding on meat, right? That's just our journey. If we keep doing the same things, it just becomes a vicious cycle, doesn't it? If the same things keep tripping us up over and over and we don't learn from them. Listen, God wants us to learn. He wants us to equip. He wants to... He wants us to place our trust in him, a trust that passes what? All of our understanding, as Proverbs 3 says. So let's look at the Israelites, right? They get to the Red Sea. They come up. God completely parts this body of ocean. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. They walk across on dry land. Then what's he do? He leads them by a fire at night, by a cloud during the morning. He gives them food when there is no food to be found. He gives them drink when they are thirsty, right? All the way to the promised land. And what happens? After God's faithfulness time and time and time again, the 12 spies, they go into the promised land. Only two come back with a good report. The other 10 come back and they say, what? We can't defeat the enemy. Can you believe that? I look at that and I go, how in the world is that even possible? God's faithfulness all these years, time and time again. And think about it. They get to the promised land. They go, "Mm, I don't think we can do it. Are you kidding me? But guess what? I think about that and I go, oh my gosh, I can forget in one hour. I can forget in one minute what God did last week in my own life and his faithfulness. You know, the Israelites' trip was supposed to take 11 days and it ended up taking 40 years. Why did it take 40 years? Because they didn't learn, right? They just kept going around in circles, coming back to the same old thing, same old thing. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that person. I want to be equipped. I want to recognize. I want to learn. I want to think of every obstacle, anything that God brings our way that's thrown. We live in a fallen world, right? Anything that's thrown in our, in our way as an opportunity. So Paul had a history of God's faithfulness, right? He said, I've learned by now to be what? To be quite content. He has found this peace, this rest. As the word says, wait on the Lord, be still. And listen, like I just said, we live in a fallen world. We can't be unrealistic. We can't just act like nothing is happening. I'm not saying, hey, listen, when the hardships come or when things blindside us 
or when we're not expecting such things, or when, you're, when your trooper goes down for the count for the entire month. Listen, those things happen. We live in a fallen world, right? But when we place our trust in the Lord, listen, we only see right here. I can only see to the back of this, this room right here. I can see to the back of these doors. But God is what? He sees the beginning to the end, from the beginning to the end. And if we truly put our trust in him and our hope in him, we can be at complete rest, as Paul says. We can be completely content. We cast our cares on him. We roll our burdens over on him. And man, we just say, God, listen, I trust in you. I'm believing for what is to come, but in the current state, I'm thankful for where you have me right now. And I love this. It goes on in Philippians 4, 7, a little later on, it says this. Many of us have heard it, if we haven't. It says what? Don't be anxious for anything. Don't have any anxiety. You say, oh, that's a nice idea, right? How do I do that? Don't be anxious for anything. But with prayer, with petition, with supplication, it says let God know what you need. Let God know what you need. And in doing that, it doesn't stop there, though. And in doing that, it says, be thankful. Give thanks while you're doing that. And that right there is the key. My wife is reading this book, has read a book for several years, Thousand Gifts, if any of you have heard of that. And it's all about, hey, writing down a thousand different things that you are thankful for. Because when you do that, when we have, and I've heard this phrase many of times, it sounds so cliche, but I love it. It's because it's so true. An attitude of gratitude does what? Increases your latitude. Oh, yeah, tuck that away. An attitude of gratitude increases your latitude. We don't have to have, be anxious for anything, but with prayer, with petition, with supplication, lay your request before the Lord. Let him know what you need, and in the, in, in the same, at the same breath, give thanks during that, and here's the promise. He will do what? He will give us a peace that passes all understanding. Think about that for a second. We don't understand it, do we? There's no way that we can make it happen on our own, in our own strength. It's not by our might, it's not by our power, but it's by his spirit, right? Living and breathing and working in us. We don't understand it. There's just this peace. That means, as Paul says, whatever my circumstances, wherever I found myself, find myself, whatever I have, I can do what? I can be at complete peace. I might not understand where it comes from. Well, I know it comes from the spirit of the Lord that's working and living and breathing in me. But a promise, every promise that God gives us in the word, there's always an action attached to it, isn't there? He says, listen, I will grant you a peace that passes all understanding. But first, don't have any anxiety about anything. There's three things. Don't be anxious. Let God know what you need and give thanks. Have a satisfied heart. Currently, we're saying, God, this doesn't seem like my timing, does it? I mean, so many of us this morning are going through who knows what, right? The good, the bad, the ugly, I like to say it. We don't know. But listen, God is never late. And rarely is he early. But he's always right on time, isn't he? It's his timing. It's his will. It's his perfect timing when we trust and we put our hope in him. I love it. One of my favorite verses, Genesis 50, 20. It's the story of Joseph, right? We know the story. Joseph is what? He's the favorite son. He's got the coat of many colors. He's got his brothers who are what? A little bit jealous of him, right? And what's he do? He has a dream. And he runs out. He tells 
his brothers this dream, right? He says, hey, one day you're going to do what? You're going to bow down to me. <laughs> that didn't go over very well, did it? No. Let's stop right there. Be careful who you share your dreams with, right? <laughs> you want to you be able to trust the people you share these dreams with. Joseph was young. He wasn't very discerning, obviously, yet. So he goes and shares this dream. Well, that didn't go over very well. And what happens? His brother, long story short, his brother throw him in a pit. First of all, they were going to kill him. I think Reuben stepped up and said, hey, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in a pit, okay? Then we'll figure out what to do with him, right? So he's in this pit. He goes from the favorite son to the bottom of a pit. Think about that, just like that. People come by. They, they buy him. They sell him into slavery. Goes to Egypt. Becomes slave for Potiphar. Potiphar sees the giftings in Joseph. Obviously, he puts him in charge of his entire household. Then he gets accused by Potiphar's wife. We know the story. He ends up in prison. I mean, think about that journey. And not one single time did Joseph lose trust and hope in the Lord, did he? He didn't blame God. He didn't say, God, I don't know about you, but if I had this wonderful coat of many colors and I was the favorite son, and I was like, man, I am living life, and life is good. And the next thing I found, and I'm trusting God. I'm believing in you, God, all these things you've told me. Hey, God, you actually gave me this dream. He came from God. He shares the dream. He's excited about the dream. And what happens? He ends up in a pit. Okay? I don't know about you, but I, I'd probably go, hmm, I'm kind of questioning. I'm kind of questioning this, this God that I'm trusting in. I just, he did not do that. His faith was placed in God, he knew that he did not see the entire picture. He only saw in part. And he was like, God, listen, I'm going to be faithful. I'm placing my hope in you. And we all know the story. God raises him up. He saves an entire country from famine. And in Genesis 50, 20, one of my favorite verses, it says what? When he's speaking to his brothers, when he finally sees his brothers again, he says what? What you meant for harm. What you meant for evil, God did what? He used for good. Man, that is good right there. What you meant for evil, God used for good. He totally turned it around. You know, I can, I can give so many examples in my own life where, you know, I, I love playing basketball. And I had a scholarship to, to play basketball at Evangel right down the road. And as you can see, I'm 5'10", not the tallest guy in the world. In my senior year of high school, I broke both my ankles within a three-month period of time. So that kind of put a damper on playing basketball. And I can remember, I can remember vividly being in a wheelchair, my mom rolling me around after I broke the second ankle. And I can remember saying, hey, listen, God's got, God's, God's got something planned. He's got something better. And those weren't just hollow words of like, hey, let me try to pat myself on the back and make myself feel better. But even at that time, I trusted in God. I thought, man, this is a bummer. I'm not saying it wasn't a bummer. I'm not saying like, man, this is, this is no good. You know, I'm not going to be able to play half the basketball season. But even at that time, I, I said, you know what? God's going to work something good out of this. I didn't know what it was. I didn't see the entire picture. But you know what? I went to college, graduated with a music degree. And I look back and I think, you know, I still love playing basketball, but that entire time, I would have spent focus on basketball. I would have never done anything with music or really anything else. And guess what? 
I'm not going to the NBA. I wasn't going to be in the National Basketball Association, right? That would have been it. Four years of playing basketball, that would have been it for me. And then I would have been like, okay, what am I going to do now? So God does work everything for the good, doesn't he? I love Romans what? 8.28. It says, God takes all things and he works all things together for the good of those who what? Who love him and are called according to his purpose. We live in a fallen world. I used to think that meant if I signed up for this Christian thing, if I put my hope and my trust in God, that meant that everything that happens to me is going to be good, right? That's not what it means. It means that he will take everything that happens in our lives, all things, and he will do what? He will work them out for the good. He will work them out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I don't know about you, but that gives me some hope when I put my trust and my faith in him. I can think about later, I can think about Morgan. She was two years old. I remember one night, our oldest daughter, I remember one night she had a a fro, she had all this curly hair. You can never see her, you can never see her head, just so much hair. Two years old. And I remember being downstairs and I hear a scream at first, just kind of like, oh my gosh, kind of a thing. And it it was my wife. Anyway, as she was giving her nightly bath, she the entire, found that the entire side of her head was swollen and there was fluid on her entire, one entire side of her head. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of can be disturbing, right? A little disturbing. You know what? We took her to the Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. They did all the testing. They said, you know what? I, we, we can't figure out what happened, what the deal is, but it's, it's serious. And this swelling is not going to go down for I think they said 18 months. 18 months it was before we would finally... You know what we did? We didn't get placed to panic. We did not freak out. You know what I mean? We did what? We trusted in God. God is a healing God. He comes through. We said, God, hey, listen. We're going to give this up to you. You know the deal. We did. We prayed. And by the time she got home two days later, that entire thing was gone like it had never been there. Now, you could say, oh, well, it's a coincidence, right? We could say, oh, that just happened. The doctors didn't know what they were talking about at Vanderbilt. I don't believe that. I believe that God healed her and completely took that away. I don't know why it was there. I don't know what the deal was. I don't know. But let me tell you something. What does that do? That gives you a history of God's faithfulness that you can look back on and go, listen, I don't care what the circumstances, as Paul says, wherever I am, whatever I have, I can be completely content. Okay, so Morgan's seven, eight years old. Sarah and I are believing for, for more children. We're asking for more children, right? I can remember being in Texas. I was playing the uh, Celebrate Freedom Festival. And as I was walking on stage, Sarah was pregnant about 20, 20 weeks. And she was going in that weekend to find out if it was a girl or a boy. 100,000 people, biggest festival there. And I'm getting ready to play. And all of a sudden, I get a call that something's not right. So I immediately get up, fly back, leave, don't play the concert, get back. Long story short, after we had prayed and believed for seven years, that's a long time. Some of you believe a lot longer than that for different things in your life, for family. Seven different years, Sarah gives birth to a stillborn who has Turner's syndrome. We named her baby Faith. We actually had to go through the whole uh, 20 weeks, 22 weeks, 23 weeks, um, still had a heartbeat, and, you know, we had to go and bury uh, baby Faith, had a whole funeral because at that time, that many weeks, 
you have to go through that process. Man, let me tell you something. That was devastating. But it did not derail our faith. It did not take away our trust in the Lord. You know what we did? Man, we mourned. We mourned. But God was faithful through that. And as you know, long story short, he gives us what we ask for. My house is like an animal house. It's a party. It's chaos. Four back to back to back to back. Where people now go, do you know how that happens? And I say, hey, I do now. And it's not going to happen again. But the... Uh, <laughs> just took some time. But, but, so we go in after we lost baby Faith. And we go in and Sarah, we're going through some... Uh, uh, just going to the doctor to see if there's any chance of, you know, getting pregnant again. Well, finds out she has endometriosis. And there is a, uh, they say, listen, even with the surgery, taking away and going in, taking all the, you know, this, da-da-da, you still only have about a, what was it, 40% chance of having another child. So we thought, well, it's worth it. So the day of, the day going in to that surgery, guess what, we find out that she's pregnant with Jack. And only a 40% chance with the surgery. Well, she's pregnant with Jack, and you know the rest of the story. God was faithful. You know, we still don't know. We still don't know. I, you know, what, why God does? And listen, one day when we get to heaven, you know, we'll ask them, hey, what about this? What about that? It'll be fun to know. But all I know is I don't blame God, and it doesn't change my trust or my hope or my faithfulness. One of the verses through that entire time was Hebrews 10, 23 which says, let us take hold of the hope we profess without wavering. Because he who has promised is faithful. Think about that for a second. That is a, that is a verse and a word that we held on to during that time. Let us take hold of the hope we profess without wavering because he who has promised is faithful. Now, we're watching the World Series. Just watch KC take down the mess last night, right? Go Cardinals. And, uh, and uh, I knew I wouldn't be asked to speak again if I didn't say that. The, um, the, um, and I was thinking about that. Let us take hold of the hope we profess without wavering because he who has promised is faithful. Listen, batters are what? We think all-star batters, if they bat 350, 360, sometimes even 300, even below 300 sometimes, three hits out of 10, and we go, man, that is an all-star. But God says what? He is faithful not 80% of the time, not 90% of the time. He is faithful 100% of the time, right? He never fails. He never leaves us. He never lets us down. He bats 1,000. And I thought about this. I thought to myself, man, if I had, I was playing basketball, and it was in the third quarter, right? And it was in the third quarter, and we were down by 20. But LeBron James was on my team. I would... I would be pretty hopeful that we were going to pull this thing out, right? Or if I was playing football and we were down to the, down, you know, 17 points, but going into the fourth quarter, Tom Brady was my quarterback, Aaron Rodgers was my quarterback, I'd be like, man, I feel pretty good. How much more should we place our hope in the creator of creation, right? Who bats a thousand, who never lets us down. Let us take hope without wavering. That means put your stake in the ground, right? That means when the wind, the waves, that means when the chaos, that means when these things, listen, we're going to get hit with different things for the rest of our life. All the, we live in a fallen world. These things happen, right? 
But our foundation is on a solid rock. Our foundation is in the one who is immovable. We cannot be moved when he is our fortress, when he is our strength, when he is our ever-present help in time of trouble. That's what the word says. I believe it. Let us take hold of the hope we profess without wavering, for he who was promised is faithful. How to be content while you're contending. So I want to ask you this as we wrap up, because I can speak about this forever, but let's wrap it up. How to be content while contending. How do we, what do we take away from this? I want to ask you two things. What are you believing for? We're all believing for different things, aren't we? And if we're not, let's begin to do that. What are you believing for? For your families, finances, children, parents, at your workplace, in your own life, in your own heart, in your own mind? What are these things that you're believing for? Galatians 6 9 says this, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time you'll do what? You'll reap the harvest that you've sown. Don't give up. I love that. Listen, Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due time, we will reap the harvest that we've sown. Isn't that awesome? So whatever we're believing for, don't give up. Those things that I'm believing for, listen, again, his timing is perfect. He's always right on time. All we have to do is one simple thing, place our hope, place our trust, our faith in the one who never changes, who's consistent, same yesterday, today, forever, right? And allow his presence to surround us and just rest in him. So I'm going to close this out in prayer this morning. One thing, I always love to challenge and give something tangible. If there's one thing you take away from uh, this message this morning, it's that do not grow weary in doing good. For in due time, we will reap the harvest that we've sown. That we can be completely content in the current state when all seems like chaos around us, because we are believing in what? What is to come, right? And we know who holds the future, which is awesome. I'll close this in prayer and I'll turn it over. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word uh, that, is, that is living, breathing, and active. God, we pray that you would uh, just let this, let, let this word in each of us just sink into our hearts, Lord, to where uh, it becomes deeply rooted in us. Lord, we we trust in you. We place our hope uh, in you. God, we thank you that you never change. We thank you that you are uh, the same yesterday and today and forever. God, and we believe in you. We love you. We glorify your name this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.